Look, if Jesus is just an add-on in your life, heaven's going to be hell. Because he's going to be the center. It's all about Jesus. And if church here is just to serve your end, it's just something you do out of obligation, or as Alex likes to say, out of compliance, you just come to church because that's what you're supposed to do, heaven's going to be awful because all y'all are going to be there. <laughs> We're all going to be there together. And not just for an hour, one day a week. Like we're training ourselves here for heaven. That's one of the things we're doing when we gather on a Sunday morning, is we are training ourselves to be excited about, to long for, to desire to live into that reality of heaven. And again... As we understood through Revelation, Jesus is the key. And so our material says, to know the body of believers at Grace Church, you should begin with one heart, with the heart, the one thing that drives us, the reason we exist. And here it is. Jesus is everything. Period. We talk a lot at Grace when we develop our messages together, how we use a Christological hermeneutic. How's that for a big fancy word, right? But basically what it means is we view all Scripture through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is the author and the key to understanding Scripture. That apart from understanding who Christ is, you cannot understand Scripture. Therefore, Christ is supreme to Scripture with that. Now, if you grew up like I did, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we get into scripture. If you grew up like I did, where you had sword drills, remember those? <clears throat> Come on. Uh, and Awanas, and Bible memory verses, and pledge allegiance to the Bible, and all those things. When I say, hey, wait, the Bible's actually underneath something, you start getting a little nervous, right? <laughs> I mean, like, whoa, hold on, what's he saying? But listen, the Bible is there to point us towards something and someone. And that person is Jesus. That someone is Jesus. So Jesus is necessarily and has to be supreme. Jesus is the one who is the head. If we don't get Jesus right, we don't get anything right. We sang the song, I love it, we... we we sang the creed and we sang the song, which both you'll, as you read through the notes and as you read through our materials, you'll see that those are foundational documents to the church. And especially this idea of Jesus being God as we can see him. Rabbinical tradition in Jesus' day held that students would aspire not only to learn from their teacher, but be exactly like him. To emulate him so thoroughly that anyone would know whose student they were by how they acted. So they would pick up the mannerisms. They would see, okay, well, my, my rabbi is wearing this 
kind of clothes, so I'm going to wear that kind of clothes. My rabbi eats this kind of food. I'm going to eat that kind of food. Likes this kind of music, reads this kind of, whatever it was. Like emulate, not just, not, just, not just going to that person for information, but for transformation. To look like. And so it's a constant struggle in any church, and in grace in particular, to keep Jesus as the head. Right? Because in one sense, I'm up here teaching right now. I've got the microphone on. So I have to work extra hard that it's not me you're focusing on. It's not what I'm saying. It's not John's opinion. But it is what Jesus is saying. And, and if anything that you do see in me, it's a way that, that my life somehow is emulating that so that it points towards Jesus. Over the years, we've become more and more of the practice of centering our worship around this table, which when we all take communion, this is a, this is a discipline for us. It's a practice to visibly, somehow visibly demonstrate that Jesus is the head. In the next few weeks when we talk about how we're structured as a community and we talk about not having a lead pastor or a head pastor with that, that's very intentional so that we can remind ourselves constantly that Jesus is the head of this church. Y'all, Grace Church is all about Jesus. You'll see as we go through our study, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. As Donnie said, we're not writing a book here. We're on a journey. We're figuring it out together. But we are secure in this. That Jesus is the head. That's who we're seeking. That's who we're following. That's what we're about. Colossians, I love the song that we did earlier that when we were doing our study of the Pauline epistles, Alex wrote. And it's very appropriate because most theologians think that that portion of Colossians, if we want to bring it up, Megan, the first part, was actually a hymn. It was something that the early church sang. They didn't know, you know, you went into the early church, not everybody had their, their own personal copy of the Bible, it actually wasn't even canonized at that point. So. But they did have songs. They, these were the things that anchored them together. These were the things that marked them as Christians. And this hymn that we find in Colossians that Paul probably didn't write, but he cryptid or he cut and paste from tradition into his letter in Colossians. It was an established song within the church says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and earth were created by him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, <clears throat> and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace 
through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I think we're on pretty firm scriptural footing when we declare that Jesus has supremacy here at Grace Church. We also understand, as with this statement, as with all the statements we're going to encounter, this is aspirational. This is something we're aspiring to. Is it happening right now 100% of the time in perfection? No, it's not. We mess up. We make a lot of mistakes here. We get tired. We get frustrated. We get bent out of shape. We get overworked. We get arrogant, we get rude, we get proud. None of that reflects Jesus. Yet, even in the midst of that, we can, with our mouths, confess that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the head of this church. We can reorient our words and our actions and our affections towards that end. It is an aspirational statement, yes, But that does not make it less true that Jesus is the head of this church. But as we said, what about Scripture? Where does that fit? Well, I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. This was one of the commentaries we used in preparing our study in Revelation. He said, God's gracious purpose in giving us his word in written form is not to turn us into Bible students, but to provide a means by which we can hear him speak and be turned into Christians. Awed worshipers, sacrificing sufferers, devout followers. Now again, I know this risk stepping on some people's toes, and I know that we all have these defenses, especially if you grew up like I did, um, in a church that was bordered on bibliodolatry. Then when we say, hey, Scripture is a means to an end. The goal of Scripture is not to make us Bible students. Being a Bible student is not a bad thing, but that's not the goal. The goal of Scripture is to make us Christians. The goal of of the Bible is to point us towards Jesus. The goal of Scripture is to do something in us. We want to take Scripture and do something with it. There's a huge difference in that, y'all. See, we want to use Scripture as our medicine chest, as our roadmap, as our yearbook. We want to use it like a book of spells. Oh, I'm feeling down. Let me find a psalm to lift my spirits. Oh, I need some direction. Let me find a verse that I can use. Listen, and, and I, I don't want to sound too dismissive there because I've done that. But where we stand in relation to the Bible makes all the difference. If we are using it as a means to our end, if we are using Scripture as a way to get what we want, listen, how is that any different from any other manipulative magic 
out there. But instead, if we are submitting ourselves to Scripture so that it can have its work in us, and we talk a lot about this when we talk about studying Scripture, is the, the Bible, Scripture should be reading us as much as we are reading it. It should be doing its work in us. We should be submitting ourselves to it as a way of being transformed more than seeing it as merely a tool or a place to get more information or to become more competent in our control of situations. We believe that Scripture reveals Jesus. We believe these inspired writings are contained within the 66 books of the Western Biblical Canon. Scripture tells us about God's plan for humankind, shows us a history of his dealing with his creation, and invites us to understand our own lives as part of the gigantic story. If we're reading Scripture effectively and truly, we will continually be humbled by its story and by our place, or lack thereof, in the story. This book is boundless in what it has to offer us. No student, no matter how many degrees and how long they've, they've had, has ever even scratched the surface of what Scripture offers us. To say that it, it is working in us and that it is pointing to Jesus is in no way to dishonor or to lower it, but actually to give it place where it can really do its work. When we hold Scripture to let Scripture do what Scripture is designed to do, we find ourselves humbled, in awe, transformed by it. When we try to make it something it's not, when we try to idolize it, we make it sterile, confined, and small. Our goal at Grace Church, our aspiration, our intent is that Scripture does what Scripture was designed to do, to draw us into the story of God, to teach us and point us towards Jesus. And we ground ourselves in it. We submit ourselves to it. We let it inform and inspire our imaginations about how to participate in the kingdom and to guide every aspect of our lives. Here at Grace, we want to create an environment where we're all digging into the timeless truth it holds. Keeping a proper perspective on what Scripture is helps us best handle its content as we grow in God with one another. And it's important to say here that we do not do this merely by our own intellect. But we are dependent on the presence of the Holy Spirit here. We are dependent on the presence of the Holy Spirit to illuminate us as to what it says. Listen, the riches of this book, there, there's no way to just humanly comprehend them by our own intellect, our own understanding. It is a spirit-infused process. 
And we're told in Scripture that that is one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Scripture for us so that we can be transformed by it. We have to have a charismatic orientation towards the Word with this, not just an academic or pragmatic orientation. We have to expect to be transformed, enlightened, illuminated by the Word as we study it. One of the reasons why we put so much emphasis on Scripture study together as a group, why we form our learning guides and why we ask all the the grace groups to, to study the same thing together is because we believe that Spirit is working in each of us but also in all of us. Look, if y'all are expecting me to have it all figured out, or Norma, or any of our other teachers, or Donnie, or anybody that gets up here with a microphone, if you're expecting any one of us that we've got some kind of special pipeline to God, and we're going we're gonna to come up here and just download that information to you, you need to go somewhere else. That ain't happening. I've got no more special access to God than anybody in here. And I need you. I need each one of you. I need every one of you. And the more of us that are studying Scripture at the same time, together, the more access we have to that Spirit that is working among all of us. That we can create those conversations and those opportunities. That we can share those insights and illuminations that happen through each one of our individual experiences and our small group gatherings. As we study this word together, the more of us pouring into, leaning into, listening to those words, the more light we have. It's, it's just this miraculous thing that we get to do here at Grace. We get to do this, y'all. So few communities even have the opportunity to study something like this together. In a world that is constantly divided, distracted, you've got so many things pulling at you. Read this, look here, watch this, do this, listen to this podcast, read this book, do this thing. Which in some ways is fantastic, right? But if we, don't have a, if we don't have a grounding center, if we don't have an anchoring practice, those opportunities actually become chains that pull us, bind us, separate us. And so as we commit to using the learning guide every week, studying the things in our personal devotions, talking about them in our grace groups. We're adding light. We're inviting the Spirit. We're walking together in a way that brings illumination to the whole, not just to us as individuals, but to the whole of the body. Hebrews 4.12 
says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the hearts. As to my point, Scripture reads us individually and as a community. And that's why we read it together. That's why we study it together. You know, I started about talking about the Redwoods. I've got this interesting book. I don't know. I, I don't know how much. I, I need to talk to a scientist about it, but it's really interesting. But the author asserts in it, it's called The Secret Life of Trees. Has anybody seen this book? It's by, it's by a German uh, forester. And he starts the book by giving this illustrations about back hundreds of years ago, well, a couple hundred years ago maybe, when explorers would come to America, and spe specifically to the Pacific Northwest, they were astounded by the redwoods. I mean, truly astounded. There weren't trees like that anywhere else in the world. And so they would take seedlings, they would take seeds and saplings, and they would take them back, and they would put them in botanical gardens in Germany and in Spain and in different places, and they would grow redwoods there. And a lot of this happened 100, 150 years ago. And so this German forester, he made, a, he made a habit of going and finding these redwood trees in these different places across Europe and Asia. And he noticed the same thing about every tree. Every single one of them was stunted. And it wasn't just due to climate. It wasn't just due to soil. Because these were in some of the most rich, bio, biologically diverse parks and areas that these countries had to offer. But what he found was without the community of other trees, no single redwood could reach maturity. They all got to a certain point in adolescence of their life, of their tree life, and they stopped growing. They would become super wide at the base, just kind of got fat, but they were all stunted in growth. And they were all immature in their ability to reproduce. We were made for community, y'all. We were made to be rooted together. None of us, apart from the others, is ever going to reach maturity. You cannot be a mature Christian apart from being integrated into the life of a local community. Now, I know that that may sound challenging. And believe me, I have held to very different opinions on this at different points in my life. It's very popular right now to be spiritual but not religious. I've got Jesus. I was baptized. I'm saved. Why, I don't need the church with all its hang-ups. Especially in the week, this week, in the news, right? How many people... How many people listening to the news this week were affirmed in their conviction that being part of a church is a waste of time at best and maybe opening yourself up for abuse at worst? And yet, even in the midst of that, I will firmly defend this statement. You will never grow to be a mature believer apart from being a part of the body of Christ, a regular, committed part of that. You'll be stunted. 
You'll be stuck. Here's the thing, though. When we look at that, then it's easy to think, well, great, I'll be part of the church because then I'll grow up. I'll be part of the church, then I'll become big. I'll become part of the church and I'll reach maturity. And yes and amen, except let me leave you with this. The church is not a means to your end. The church is the means to God's end. Ultimately, it all circles back to being about Jesus. We're here because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus deserves to get out of this church. Because of what Jesus' plans for this church are. Not ours. Will we grow into maturity? I hope so. I believe so. I believe this is the only way to do it, but I can't guarantee it. Can't guarantee it. But I do know if we come together, called according to God's purpose, put him first, let scripture work in us together, devote to this community that God will get what God wants. And that's the most important thing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Listen, that's, that ought to offend you. It offends me. I sure would like to get something out of this gig, right? And believe me, I do. I do. But as soon as I make that the end, as soon as I make church about what John Ray wants out of it, about what John Ray is getting out of it, I'm lost. Church is not a means for me to get what I want. It's a means for God. It's a means for God to get what God wants out of that.